Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Morning, everybody. We're starting a new series called The Drama of Scripture. Um, There's a place for some sermon notes. There's a section where I'm kind of saying a lot of things. (laughs) So, you feel free, you can email the church, and I will get you the notes uh, if you miss something. Um, and we're going to be going through this, I think, a great series looking at the entire Bible, but looking at it in a different way. And so here in Luke 24, we have this great, great story. It's one of my favorites. I'd love to do a whole series on this section of Luke 24. But I want to give you a little background here, because here's Jesus. After his resurrection, he is revealing himself to two depressed disciples. Why are they depressed? Well, they were just at the cross. They just saw their Messiah get killed. And in their mind, they lost because they weren't expecting Jesus to get killed. Because for the Jewish mind, a Messiah was a king. And kings don't get killed. Kings win. They get put on thrones. And these disciples, even some historians and commentators even think, Some of these disciples actually thought they were ushering in a new administration for Jerusalem that was going to have victory over the Roman Empire. And so they were thinking like, yeah, you know, Jesus for president, we're going to win this thing, we're going to be powerful, Um, we're going to make things right, is what they're thinking. And they see Jesus get killed. He's dead, he's crucified. They did not understand that when Jesus got baptized, He was embarking on a life, not of upward mobility, but of suffering. That Jesus, to be successful, meant he would be on a cross, and he succeeded. But these disciples were depressed because they didn't understand that was the path and plan of God. Look at verse 26 with me, if you have your Bibles open. He says, Jesus says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? He's explaining to these two depressed disciples, it's Easter Sunday, but they don't know there's anything to celebrate, right? Because to them, Jesus is dead. So he comes along, these two depressed disciples, and however this works, I'm not sure what this is, but Jesus now has a resurrected body, right? Because he's been killed, he's now resurrected. But they're kept from recognizing Jesus. They're walking with this stranger, having this conversation. Their heads are down, the scripture says. They're depressed. And what he does, it says in Luke, that Jesus points them back to scripture. Look at verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning about himself. It's a great little line because Jesus, what he does, he walks with them and he does a personal Bible study for them. How would you like Jesus as your Bible study leader? It's like, would you ever skip your assignments? I mean, Jesus is walking with them personally, doing a Bible study for them, walking through the scriptures. And it says Moses, which we know is the Pentateuch. It could be more than just the first five books of the Bible. Um, the prophets would have been a huge section of the scriptures. And this isn't all the scriptures. Now, I want you to keep in mind, back in Jesus's day, they didn't have the New Testament because the New Testament is written about Jesus. So when they're going through the scriptures, I just want to make sure you know the Bible that Jesus read was the Old Testament. The Hebrew scriptures would actually be even a proper name. 
The Hebrew Scriptures, that was Jesus' Bible. I want you to understand. And now we, as not modern-day Christians, we have the New Testament um, that talks about the life of Jesus, the early church, and the things that are to come. Now, what Jesus does, though, he points them to the Hebrew Scriptures, the Bible, and says, I want you to see all of these things are actually written about me. Now, I want you to know Jesus has pretty good self-esteem. This book is all about me. Because if any one of you said that to me, we'd be having a lot of counseling sessions. You know, say, Pastor Tim, have you read Genesis? That's about me. Read Revelation? That's about me. Jesus walks in through a Bible study and says, this entire book, he's talking about the Hebrew scriptures, a scroll. He obviously, Jesus being a good Jew, a rabbi, he memorized all of scripture. He wasn't carrying a scroll, I don't think, on the walk. He just knew it because good Jews memorize scripture, especially rabbis. They memorize it. So imagine Jesus is quoting Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Psalms, Job, Ecclesiastes. And every time he keeps saying, that's about me too. That's about me too. Oh, this is one of my favorite passages. That's about me too. Jesus is not arrogant. He's just truthful. He would be a liar and a deceiver if he said anything else. Does this make sense? If he said, well, I... I just want you to see how this, you know, is, is about the prophet. There's another great prophet to come. No, he'd be lying. Jesus is a fulfillment of all things. And so he points them on this Bible study, on this walk, the two depressed disciples. All scriptures are pointing to me, verse 7, 27 says. He's being truthful. He's being good. Because if he claimed anything less than being God himself in the flesh, whom the whole Bible is written about and centered upon, he would be doing you a disservice by claiming to be just one way of many ways. He'd be doing you a disservice just to say, oh, just meditate on this tree and you'll find ultimate harmony. That would be a lie. I'm not saying nature's bad. I'm just telling you that's a partial truth that that nature can give you life. It can, but it's not the ultimate truth. Jesus is the ultimate truth. He'd be doing you a disservice to present himself in anything less than God himself in the flesh. So he walks through all the scriptures, this great Bible study. And what he is doing is showing how God in Jesus Christ is the center of everything. So we're going to do the next seven weeks, as today is the introduction, we're going to take a look at this whole Bible, this biblical story, and we're calling it the series, A Drama of Scripture, which based on a great book that came out a little bit ago. And I think it's a wonderful picture for you to consider that this thing we call the Bible is a story, a great story, an exciting story, a dramatic story, a a story that should not make you bored or bummed out, a story that should captivate you and challenge you. I mean, how many of you have ever been lost in a story, a great movie, a great book, a great play, right? A great TV show, a great poem. And God is saying, I have given you a gift, the greatest story, that this story is even Better than the best stories you've ever read, because if you will get to know this story, if you will lose yourself in this story, you will find life for today and forever. That's beautiful. That's the invitation as we take a look at God's scripture over these next several weeks. We're going to see how scripture is like a play in six acts that points to the saving work of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
beginning in Genesis. And so, yes, you're going to hear Pastor Tim say, not only God was present in Genesis, God the Father, but the Son and the Spirit. You're going to learn that next week. You're going to see that. The Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father from beginning in Genesis all the way to the end in Revelation. We're going to see that woven through the entire book of the Bible. And my hope is that you'll see that through every book of the Bible, we'll see that Jesus is right. It's all about him. It's not about you. And that's good news, <laughs> that it's not all about you. You need him at the center of your life. It's a story about God and an invitation for you to step into God's story for seven weeks. Hopefully one year, we'll make this a whole year series, but we're going to do it in just seven weeks, a six-part drama, story about God, invitation for you to step into God's story. I'm going to share this uh, because just um, about 30 minutes ago, I had the privilege of praying with a young woman who, after hearing the message, said, I want to become a Christian. And I'm thanking God that we had someone who understood, it seemed like for the first time, because we spent about a half hour afterward, who just, it just all came together, that God had been orchestrating all of this for probably years, they were alluding to, to this moment where she got it, and she says, I want to be part of that story about Jesus and forgiveness and love and hope. I want my life to make sense, and it makes sense when I lose myself in a bigger story. And not just any story, but we're saying the only really true story. I'm not saying there's not other truths and other stories, but I'm talking about the ultimate story, the biggest story, the overarching story of all reality, all that is seen and unseen. That's what the Bible is. Take a look at verse 32. They said to each other, these two depressed disciples, after walking with Jesus through the Bible study, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? This is a holy heartburn, okay? That when you spend time with Jesus, when you spend time studying God's word, when you spend time praying, listening to God, that your heart becomes alive. Your hearts would burn. I'm just thankful to God that the last service that this young woman, the Holy Spirit, was burning in her heart to say yes for the first time. And so I'm just praying. I never know who's coming each week. This might be your first time at church ever. Or this might be you've been, you grew up at church and you got burned down and you're back today. Someone dragged you. They said there was like free tacos today and there aren't. We tricked you and you're stuck with me instead. Or maybe even coming, you know, for years faithfully with Jesus, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time, we each every day get to say yes to Jesus anew. Not because you need it to get saved or to secure his love, but we need it because we always, every morning we wake up and it's a decision. Am I going to lose myself in the bigger story of God? Or am I going to lift my own story today, my own agenda build my resume, my reputation. That's a choice every day, regardless if you're a follower of Jesus yet or not. Every day you make that choice. Because after spending time with Jesus, our hearts burned. These doubting, depressed disciples saw Jesus for who he really was, and they became transformed. They saw a whole new, bigger story. 
that the story doesn't end in defeat with the cross. This is actually victory? What? We're going to start a movement that's going to change the world? What? You can see their lives are opening up because they understood the bigger story. That their story and your story doesn't have to be driven by despair in your life, very real despair that you bring today. That your story doesn't have to be cut short because of the detours in your life. Some of you coming here today saying, I never expected to be sitting here with my life with X, Y, and Z. You can put in the blanks, a relationship that's broken, a situation that went south. But as fellow depressed disciples, if you get a picture of the larger story, you don't have to be stuck with a bad ending because Jesus will make sense of all your detours. If you center your lives on Jesus Christ, the one whom this book is all about from beginning to end, you will find yourselves by losing yourselves in him. Only by stepping into God's larger story can we find our own story. I want you to hear Jesus' own words from Matthew 10, verse 39. This is from the Message Translation, uh, late Presbyterian pastor Eugene Peterson. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful paraphrase. And he quotes Jesus saying this, Matthew 10, 39. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you will never find yourself. But if you forget yourself and look to me, Jesus says, you will find both yourself and me. Matthew 10, 39, that's the wisdom of sage Jesus. You want to find yourself, you have to lose it, not in just nature, not in your job, not in some other mysticism, but in Jesus, the one whom this is all about. If you lose yourself in him, he says, not only do you find me, but you find yourself. If you lose yourself in this story, and we're going to talk about this, this story, this drama, a play in six acts, because it's a story about God that we need to find ourselves in. And if we find ourselves in that story, we discover our own. So I'm going to tell you the six acts, okay? And this is the part where if you need me to email you all the, the details, I'll do it. But I'll do it quickly. Act one of this play called The Bible is creation. God establishes his kingdom. And Acts 1, Acts, the first act, tells us why we're here. Answers that question, creation. Second act, the fall or rebellion. The story, the drama goes, there's rebellion in the kingdom. Act 2 tells us what went wrong. You have Act 3, redemption initiated. The king chooses Israel. Of all of the nations, of all of the plans for God to undo this rebellion in Act 2, he chooses the little nation of Israel. We don't know why, but through his sovereign will and mind and wisdom, God chooses Israel to begin the redemption process. And Act, act 3 tells us what puts the world right? How is this problem going to get fixed? Then you come to Act 4, which we're calling Redemption Accomplished, the coming of the King. Act 4 tells us who puts the world right. 
So act one, creation. Act two, fall. Act three, redemption initiated. Act four, redemption accomplished with the coming of the king. Then there's the fifth act. I'll call it redemption continued. It's a better word than that, but it's the mission of the church. It's the spreading of the news of the king. The king in his kingdom now has these followers to spread his message. The mission of the church. And that answers the question, how do we join in putting the world right? The fall that happened in Act 2, something went wrong. It started with Israel. Then the king, Jesus, comes. And then we, as his body of the church, we get to join with the king in spreading the news and making the world right. And then finally in Act 6, redemption completed. The return of the king This first advent is when he came as baby Jesus. His second advent will be coming in full sight, we believe, as king, as ruler of all good, all beauty, all power. We'll see him with all his greatness one day. That's how it all ends. And it tells us how it all ends. Six acts from Genesis to Revelation. So to give you a big picture, you can get this idea that the glorious beginning at creation When we were created out of the overflow of God's love, it is then scarred by the horrible events of the fall. When Adam and Eve made a decision, they chose to put God on the side instead of the center. And Pastor Randy Frizee says it this way. He says, from this point in the story until the final chapter of the Bible, we can see God's single passion unfolding one story at a time. He wants to give you and me, an opportunity to return to the garden where we will live with him forever. And he, being God, will do whatever it takes to get us back. So God is saying, if you want to live life to the fullest and enjoy it forever, then become part of my masterpiece. Or I'll invite you to say, step into God's story. For those who choose to embrace God's bigger story, what you will find is that your tragedies can become triumphs with God. Your pains can have purpose with God. Your dreams can have direction with God. If you will lose your small story in God's bigger story, there's hope. There's power, there's meaning, not just for now, forever. So every day, God is calling us to himself, asking us if we want to live life to the full by stepping into God's larger story, not by centering our efforts on building our own story, our own resume. If you wake up every morning trying to fix all of your problems, trying to build your reputation, trying to convince people to like you or say nice things about you or to get to that next next thing or if your body could just look a certain way, then I'll finally be fulfilled and happy, right? If I could just live in a certain part of the country or part of California, then I'll be happy. Like, no, if you center your life and say, the only way I will know fullness of life is by centering my life on his story, then he says you will not only find him, you will find yourself, That's a great promise. Now, so the question left with you, whether this, again, is your first time, like that young woman, the last service, or your hundredth time, every morning you get to wake up and decide, 
Am I going to live into God's greater story today? Or am I going to live for smaller stories of my retirement? Or smaller stories of my reputation? Or smaller stories of the next sales call? Not bad things, but will you submit those smaller stories to God's bigger story? And let him infuse his life into even your business and your family your whole life. What will you do with this invitation to join his story? So excited, this young woman for the first time said, yes. I gave her some books and said, I pray for her. We'll keep in touch. I said, I said, look, here's the great news, though. We believe in faith that you cannot lose this love. It's secure. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to do any of those things. But, I get, but guess what? If this is real, you're going to want to go to church. If this is real, you're going to want to read your Bible. If this is real, you're going to want to give. You're going to want to serve because of this love affair with Jesus. Because that's the story. I'm going to tell you about a Frenchman, a young Frenchman named Guillaume Bignon. He shares a brief story of how, of how God takes him as a French atheist who hated religion and who broke down all his defenses and how God turned him into a Christian theologian. Okay. So he says, I was in my mid-20s, working near Paris as a computer scientist in finance, playing volleyball in a national league, and played keyboard in a rock band. And he hated the idea of God and religion. And then he met an American Christian on a random hitchhike halfway around the world. Of course, he called it random, but of course we know it was God. And he says, and so I became a friend with this person, and I read the Bible in order to disprove her silly beliefs. And I was intrigued, as I read the Bible, by this person of Jesus. And then a very timely, unexplained shoulder injury forced me off the volleyball courts on Sundays, which allowed me to visit an evangelical church in Paris. And then he says, like I would visit a zoo to see weird animals, is why he went to an evangelical church as an atheist in Paris. And so it was there where he said he tried, he tried to escape without speaking to anyone at the end of the service, and I was struck at the door by a blast of chills in my stomach, leading me to turn around and walk straight to the head pastor and he and I met and talked regularly for hours at a time, wrestling through my questions, discovering that thoughtful Christians even existed, and starting to think that the Bible was historically reliable and that this whole thing actually could be true. And I came to commit, he says, some particularly immoral activity in my life. He doesn't say what. But he was brutally struck with guilt. And as I got to understand the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my own sin, my sin, the very thing that was killing me inside, I understood then that the Bible was teaching that Jesus took the penalty upon himself so that I might be forgiven for free not by my good works, not by religious rituals, but simply by receiving him, placing my faith in him for the forgiveness of my sin. Then he says, amazing. And so I did exactly that. 
he said yes to Jesus. And he experienced a spiritual rebirth. I might even say his heart was burning within him, maybe. He said every trace of guilt departed. And then he closed by saying, I have lived freely in that reality ever since. He's now a Christian theologian sharing with his friends who are just like he used to be, atheists, agnostic, making fun of Christians who got touched by the story. His heart burned within him. Spiritual rebirth. The Holy Spirit guided him to find his true self. Guillaume discovered that there was a larger story than his. Because Jesus says, to remind you, if your first concern is to look after yourself, your bank account, your family, your life, your comfort, your reputation, but if you, you will never find yourself if that's your goal. But if you forget yourself, your reputation, your resume, your career climbing, your bitterness, how you've been wronged, if you can lose yourself in the story of Jesus, then Jesus says, if you forget yourself and look to me, you will find both yourself and me. Friends, that is great news, and it doesn't cost anything but your whole life. Every day waking up and realizing this is free. Every day waking up and realizing you could do nothing to lose his love. Every day waking up and this thanking him like you would thank a friend. Every day waking up and talking to a good boss, like you should, right? Who knows how to run your life better than you know how to run your own life. That's what it takes. You must lose your life to find it. I want to wrap up telling you a funny story, but a true story I think will kind of capture the essence of what we're trying to say. So 20 years ago, 21 to be exactly, um, I was invited to go to the Super Bowl, okay? This is 98 Denver Broncos um, Super Bowl in Miami versus the, the Atlanta Hawks. I was invited because my sister at that time was the Denver Broncos cheerleader, okay? And so my sister, who is now, she's still, she's a fitness competitor. She can tell that she gets her physique from me. And so she called me and said, look, I got it extra chicken. I get to invite a guest. Would you like to come on the plane with all the cheerleaders and go to the Super Bowl with me? So being a good Christian, I prayed about it. I had to pray. Lord, if you'd like me to be a witness on a plane full of cheerleaders, here I am. Send me. So the Lord made a way. Miracles of miracles. I ended up on that plane and went to see the Denver Broncos. They trounced the Hawks. It was wonderful. It was great. Celebrations. And we flew back to Denver. I lived in Los Angeles at the time, so I flew back to Denver. All the celebrations and these dinners. I get to be with the team, like in the little side room. All, oh, so great. But the, the biggest thing was the parade. Okay? This is a big deal. Every time a Super Bowl champion wins, anytime a World Series champion wins, you know how this thing, an NBA champion, there's a parade. And so suddenly in Denver on this day, somewhere in 1998, suddenly everyone calls in sick that day, and there are 650,000 people filling the streets of downtown Denver. Now, 
Um, so we go to be, you know, to watch the parade. My sister gets to be in it. They have, you know, Sh- Coach Shanahan goes first. John Elway goes first, of course. Um, you got um, running back, and you got the Shannon Sharp. All the people they were loading all the trucks, the fire trucks, the buses, whatever they were using, flatbed trucks. Everyone's loading up. The last one, I believe, was where the cheerleaders went on, and my sister was on the last bus. I'm waving goodbye. I'm snapping pictures, and she's about to take off. The, the truck stops, and she waves me on. to come on, hurry, get on. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do this. So I jump onto the truck because guess what? Everyone had left already, so no one could stop us. So I was the random Asian guy with a camcorder, okay, on the last flatbed truck, 650,000 people, downtown Denver, 1998, right? And I was like the official photographer for the Denver Broncos that day or something, right? So I'm in the parade, right? It's fantastic. Wonderful celebration. I mean, it felt like a million people. I mean, 650,000 was actually a conservative estimate. It was unbelievable. Confetti, everyone's going nuts. They give speeches, and they went to dinner afterward, the whole bit. And so now, so that true story, okay? Fantastic time. So now imagine you're, uh, you see me next week, right, my laptop, like I do sometimes. You see me at local coffee shop, and then you see me watching a video, and you can see like, oh, 1998, Denver Broncos, pray. you kind of see that. You go, Pastor Tim, what are you doing? And I'm saying, oh, well, check this out. See, see right here? Here's Elway right there, and there's Shanahan. In. This is in the parade. He came to look at this car. You know, you can see Shannon Sharp, and then here are the chili. But he looked real close. Now, look real close here in this last this last truck, look real close. You see that little tiny dot? I think that's me. Okay. And, and, and what if I told you, and you say, well, what are you doing? Well, uh, we're watching a video about me. We're watching a video of, this, is, this parade was for me. 650,000 people were all chanting, Tim Ye, Tim Ye, Tim Ye. That, this is about me. Don't you know? And then you would go on your cell phone, call 911, and say, I think we need some medical help, okay, for a guy named Pastor Tim. Because it's crazy for me to think that I'm the star of that story. And I wonder sometimes, we wake up, and here we're spending time with God, and God has a little smirk on his face, because he knows that we think we're the star of our story. And I, I don't know how it's going to work out when we see God face to face, but maybe there will be that proverbial, you know, they say that video of your life, you know, film of your life will flash before you in the end, whatever it would be. And how sad it would be if I lived the majority of my life thinking it was all about me or, or even all about the wrongs that have happened to me. And I define myself as a victim, right? All the bad stuff, all the stuff I missed out on. How sad it would be if I lived most of my life right? Subjected to the very small life of thinking that it's all about me when God has this bigger story, bigger story that goes beyond my whatever years I live on this planet that he's inviting me into right now. Not, I, don't have to wait. I don't have to wait to die to be part of God's eternal story. I get to do it right now. How silly it is for us as believers in Christ to think this is about me. Friends, it's all about him, his story, that you get invited into every day to realign your mind, your heart, your whole self around the story of God. Because Jesus says, if you will lose yourself in my story, you will find me and find yourself. 
What a great promise. And all it takes is your entire life to say, I will stop living for my smaller story. I'll stop defining my life by what people say about me. That's a very small story. I'll stop defining my life by my accomplishments. That's a very small story. I'll stop defining myself by my failures. That's an even smaller story because that's not who you are. You're a child of God, eternally loved right now. But you just need to say yes. Yes to God's bigger story. Say yes to the unlosable love. Because that is what he's inviting us into. I like to think that my life I live is meant to be centered around me, my life, my family, my career, all good things that I'm the star that God gets so excited. And I'll show you in the Bible one day if you don't think God gets excited. He gets excited. He gets amazed. Jesus was amazed when your faith gets put in him. Jesus, wow. Their faith is growing. They're stepping to my story. Hope you can imagine even a, a, a good father, a good God who gets excited like, oh, yeah, my children are getting it. They know their love, that, that there's an adventure for them, that there's a life, a great life on this earth right now waiting for them. If they would just lean into and dive into this story, they get it. They're getting it. Oh, that's the invitation, friends. Would you pray with me? God, help us to embrace your grand, great story. Help us to see if we dive into your story, our tragedies can become triumphs. Our pains can have purpose. Our dreams can have direction. Our stories will finally make sense as we center our lives on you. Lord, teach us that this word of yours is an invitation for us to dive into. So help us to say yes, Lord. For some of us, for the very first time, saying yes, I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd be prompting someone even now to say yes. And for those of us who maybe have said yes before, that anew we can say yes to aligning my heart and mind, my whole self, my spirit into your greater story, God. That as I lose myself, I actually will find myself as I find you. Bless us, Lord, that we would be a blessing. May we, Lord, as we come and offer our whole selves and even offer gifts that we would realize you've given us every good thing. Our whole lives is simply a thank you to you, God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelprez.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.